Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What's up, Buffalo Fanatics? Josh Allen here. Just wanted to say, uh, go Bills. Oh, baby! <laughs> what is up? Buffalo Fanatics! C-Bot here with you. Live on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel on a Monday night. And that, of course, can only mean one thing. It is the smoke break powered by BetUS, where the game begins. Receive a 125% sign-up bonus on your first three deposits up to 2500 in the link. In the description below, we got some beef to chow down on tonight, folks. You gotta love when the offseason kicks off. It's a little slow. You know, free agency hasn't really ramped up yet. Draft, of course, isn't here. It's the slowest period. What are we going to talk about on the smoke break? Deion Dawkins, the snowman, serves it up for us on a silver platter, doing what he does. Not best. What he does best is out on the field, but what he's really good at is speaking from the heart, telling it like it is, and he had a couple of things to say about the boys in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And we'll dive into what he had to say about the gang green. We'll also talk about Sean McDermott's sit-down interview with Tim Graham from The Athletic. A lot of great bits from within that article, including his thoughts on where the Bills stand currently in the Super Bowl picture. Great to have you in tonight on a Monday the last Monday of February, folks, as we round out, we head into March and then we'll be just about a month shy of the draft. And that's when we start to get things really cooking. Got a good amount to talk about tonight, which is fun. And it's stuff that isn't necessarily the most serious stuff in the world, but it's the fun stuff. It's the what I like to call uh, the the ancillary items that come along with being a fan of the greatest reality television on television. And that is pro sports. No, it's not. Uh, what, 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 are the, what are the kids watching these days? Love is Blind. I don't know. There's a thousand of them. This is the best reality show on TV. Deion Dawkins gives you a little sideshow this afternoon that comes out that we can dive into tonight. Uh, and that's what we're going to do. But before we get started, uh, got something really, really cool I'm excited to share with you guys. So I'm not entirely sure if I've ever shared this with you before. But as you all know, the reason I am sitting down here with you tonight. Maybe you all don't know this. So if you haven't, if you're new to the smoke, if you're new to the fanatics, let's, let's start from the beginning. The reason I'm sitting down here with you right now, the reason you see a barrage of Buffalo gear, 
behind me. The reason why I'm a Buffalo Bills fan is because of my main man, my old man, Pete Bell, my dad. He is the reason why I am a Bills fan. Ultimately, he's the reason why you and I are sitting down tonight talking with one another. And to kick the show off, I got something special that I want to share with everybody, including my dad. Now, most people don't know this, but after every big game, after every big win for the Bills, big moment, big event, me and my dad have a tradition. How this started, I have no idea. Why it started, I have no idea. All I know is we've been doing it for the last several years, and we just did this right after the Bills beat the Dolphins and won the AFC East. And our tradition after these big moments is to play Curie by Mr. Mister. And once again, I don't know why this happened, how it happened, but one night we were listening to tunes after a big W, that song came on, and the rest is history. Now, the reason I bring that up is because I'm about to play for you, Kiri, in a little bit of a different way than you might be anticipating. But this is a big event that I'm celebrating. And of course, I have to use this music when it comes to celebrating a big event. So enjoy, folks. And primarily to my dad watching on the other side, this one's for you. Enjoy. love you you're my best friend in the whole world you always have been you always will be as many of you guys know i'm getting married later this year on september 27th coincidentally that happens to be my dad's birthday and there's nobody i'd rather have up there with me right by my side than my dad so dad right here on the show that is a thing because of you the reason all of this exists is because of you i figured there'd be no better place to ask you if you would stand up there with me and Caroline and the rest of the gang and help us get married on your birthday. I love you a ton, my man. And I appreciate everybody in here tonight for sharing that moment. Uh, I got all my tears out of the way while I made it. I still am a little cracked up on it right now. I'm not going to lie to you, but I got all those, the, the main ones out of the way earlier while I was making it. But I figured there's no proper way to ask the guy who's giving you everything if he'll come and do this honor for you. But I figured, hey, 
why not on the smoke break where the folks currently are back in Rochester, New York watching. And, uh, and so there it is, dad, much love my man. And, uh, I'm waiting on him. I'm waiting on my answer. I'm supposed to be getting an answer momentarily. Of course, my mother, who is technologically challenged, is probably trying to help him out currently to try and uh, and ask and, and tell me if he's if he's even available that night. I mean, it is his birthday, for God's sakes. He might have plans already in the books that I'm not aware of. So we'll give it a second. I think my dad is going to come on in a second here and uh, and let me know if he is able to cancel if he, uh, those plans if he does happen to have any but for those who don't know that is the reason why i'm a fan and it's the reason for everything really but there's nothing better than than having the sports bond that you have with with your with your old man i i don't know how else to describe it you either have it or you, or you don't and if you do you know exactly what i'm talking about and here he is he's fires people there's nothing better than into the radio you know, your old man you know how when they call into the radio and they're telling you to move it on the other side? Dude, mute, hit mute, hit mute on the TV. Don't you? Yeah. How about, how about it? All right, there you go. Can you hey, are you kidding me? Let's go. What do you think? How about it? What do you think? Dude, I love it. I'm choked up over here. Me too, man. Me too. I love you. Zach, that was freaking awesome, dude. Now, I had the full four-minute version with the whole music video or whatever, as Caroline and I said. No, that was perfect. I had no clue. Caroline and I sat and watched the whole thing, and she's like, I love you. I love your dad, but I don't know if anybody's sitting through four minutes of that. And I'm like, you know what? You're dead on, so I got I to gotta find a way to get it in in a nice, concise manner, so I hope you love it. It was awesome. Totally took me by surprise. Are you kidding me, dude? I would be honored. I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm blown away, man. It was all, what a great, great thing. I'd be honored to be your best man on my birthday too. How about it? How about it? And then what while, a freaking night. So it's going to be amazing. Obviously the, the, the highlight of the evening to marry my best friend Caroline, but on top of that, you'll be up there with me. And then my grandmother and my dad's mother. And then you got hit mute on it. Grandma Bell, she will be officiating our wedding. So it is going to be an absolute. Oh, God. It's, what a night. It's going to be unreal. So, yeah. well, hey. That is, uh, and you know what? I don't know why we decided playing that song either. No idea. You know, I was trying to think of the reason. I think we were just a little loaded and had the YouTube on shuffle, and that one just happened. Yeah. I think it just know. took. Yeah. Yep. But uh, but we had a celebratory moment, of course, with uh, with the AFC East title, and now uh, we got one more. Even though the Bills didn't get it done for us, I figured we could have one more celebration before next season. So, oh my God, yes. So yeah, and they will be playing whatever, like you said. That's wedding's Friday. The game won't be till Sunday or whatever. Monday, yeah. Sunday, Thursday, who knows? So we'll be safe, right? As I said to you the other day, I said, after it's all said and done and the wedding's over, I just have both fingers crossed the Bills play, I don't know, the weakest. Yeah, well, whatever. There's more, there's more important things going on that yeah. weekend anyhow, right? Of course, but if you tap it off with a W, boom. I mean, it could have could get any better than that, so. No doubt. All right, well, I, I'll go ahead. Sorry. I didn't hear what – um uh what Dawkins had to say here either. So this is, is, is this a real thing or is that just a setup?
company man right here. He's giving me my segue. I love yeah. got the whole thing for you. He sat down for over an hour interview. And as you know, I've interviewed Dion several times and he's never not kept it a hundred percent with us. And he did the exact same thing in this interview, including, and this is a treat for you and all those who didn't happen to see this today. Dion went for the jugular and he says the things in this interview that you don't typically see people say, and this is why I love Dion because anymore in sports, you're getting a lot of unauthentic responses from people. You're never going to get that from Dion. So uh, wipe the tears. I guess I'll wipe mine, sit back and we'll talk. Dude, to so listen, we're sitting here on the couch. Just yeah. I'm like half falling asleep. Yeah. Right. So you come on. I'm like, all right, I figure you're going to do a little quick, you know, whatever. And then that just completely blew me away, dude. I, I am so, uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to cry. Dude. I'm so pumped. I'm so honored. And, uh, um, I, I'm just blown away, man. Awesome. Well, I appreciate yeah. you. I love you. Thanks for hopping on and accepting the invite. And uh, we'll talk after the show. All right. Buddy, I love you too, man. All right. Much love. Much love. All right. Mom. All right. Ew, talk soon. Talk to you later. There he is. Thanks for bearing with us, folks. That was a special moment. I was real happy to be able to share it with you. I thought, because I live like six, seven hours away now. And you're thinking, like I said earlier, how do you, how do you really, how do you do that in a way that truly feels worthy? Especially when you're this far away. Like, what am I going to send? I'm going to send my dad a postcard. Hey, pal. You know, so I'm brainstorming. I'm like, hey, we got the smoke break tonight. No way he's going to see that coming. And sure, sure enough, that's exactly how it went down. So thanks for uh, enjoying that with me because it's the reason we're here tonight. I'm telling you, there's no way in hell I would be uh, – a fan of sports, much less a fan of the Buffalo Bills if it weren't for my old man. Now, with that said, he has told me multiple times it is his fault and he bears the cross for the trauma that I've had to go through for 25 years, and that is damn right. It's not all glitz and glamour, as we know. I mean, I've been given a hell of a lot uh, to deal with with this, with this burden of being a fan of the Buffalo Bills, but nobody I'd rather share it with, of course, than him, and obviously nobody I'd rather share it with than all of you here at the Fanatics. So I'm glad I got to share that moment with all of you as well here on the Buffalo Fanatics. All right, as we segue, my dad was talking about the fact that he hadn't seen what Deion Dawkins had to say about our friends in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Now, maybe some of you haven't either, and if you haven't, that's probably the best way to go into this because, as you know, I like to watch things, clips of interviews, interviews, and we sit and we analyze them, we break them down. But what I love about Deion, is if, if you're watching an interview from a coach or you're watching an interview from a player or, you know, pretty much any athlete or person of prominent power within sports, you're going to get the status PC. Here, you know, here it is. Eh, Got to get them next time. Oh, you know, no comment when it comes to anything controversial or whether or not you got something to say about, uh, you know, a player or a call on the field. Now, sometimes you can take it a little far and there's there's moments for it and moments that aren't, you know, adequate. I would go back to what Patrick Mahomes did with Josh Allen after the game where the Bills won on the false start or the offsides penalty. There's, you, you don't go after the guy and tell him your thoughts and feelings on the field after the game. There's certain ways when it comes to how you express yourself and what you have to say. There's certain ways to do it right and there's certain ways that just aren't a good look. Well, in the offseason, when you're doing sit-down interviews, I appreciate guys who open up 
they're kind of like about an open book themselves. And if you allow them to you know, sit down with you, they will shoot you straight. You ask them a question, you'll get an authentic answer. And if you've ever seen my interviews with Dion or me and Rico's interviews with Dion, you know that to be true. In fact, if you've seen him being interviewed by anybody, you know what you're going to get every time. You're going to get an authentic Dion Dawkins who, at the end of the day, no matter what you ask him, he is going to give you his honest opinion. Whether that's uh, media friendly, right? Whether that's something everybody wants to hear, whether that's something that is politically acceptable, correct, whether it's outside of the status quo, it doesn't matter. If it's his thoughts, if it's the way he feels, that's what you're going to hear. Now, Dion, we all know him to be a, a great guy, to say the least. This past year, he was nominated for the Bills as the Walter Payton Man of the Year. And he is just a guy that if you meet him, his personality explodes. And I'm sure you guys can tell when you see him online or on TV, it's palpable. The way that the guy is is how he is in every situation. That's why I personally love him so much. He's always going to be one of my all-time favorite Bills. And it's not just because of what he does on the field but it's just who he is as a guy. I've never met an athlete who is so authentically himself. Now, whether that's, that, that can be interpreted in a variety of different ways, good, bad, or indifferent. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are on both sides of the fence. In fact, Deion Dawkins told me and Rico last year that one of the things he personally had to deal with work on himself when it came to how he was dealing with uh, you know, the media, social media, things being said about the Bills, the team, he kind of had to start tuning it out because he was falling into this cycle of reading the negative comments, seeing the things out there that you know are going against what he's trying to do, who he thinks he is, what he's trying to accomplish, right? So when we look at what we're about to look at, take all that in mind. If you don't know who the guy is, it's going to be pretty like, whoa, out of nowhere, this guy's talking like this. It might be shocking. However, if you do know him, if you've had experience either watching him in interviews or just flat out seeing who he is and how he carries himself, it won't shock you that you're going to get a direct answer in this interview from all the questions that he was asked. But the reason I brought up the Walter Payton Man of the Year thing is because there's two sides of the fence that I think people fall on with him. Either they really love him like I do and they see him for who he is and who I think I see him as is just a guy who is going to be him at all, like with, with, with no, no circumstances surrounding him that is going to affect that. He's always going to be him. I think on the other side of, out of the fence, you could look at him and you could say, I just don't like this guy. I don't like the fact that he is speaking his mind. I don't like the fact that he is willing to go after people that he feels like deserve it. I don't like the fact that, you know, he shows up to the NFL awards shirtless or he sits down in this interview that we're about to talk about shirtless there's people out there that are like that and that's fine not everybody loves everybody but Dion's aware of that he knows that and that's what I I think really speaks even more to the fact that he's just always going to be him he's aware that there's people out there that don't like any of that but he had to work on not caring about it because when you are somebody like him you're you know polarizing might be the right word when you are like that there's going to be a line drawn in the fence there's going to be people on either side and it isn't great when you go through and see comments that are talking about, you know, not liking you, reasons why they don't like you, talking about your play on the field, this and that. It's not fun. But I think what I took away from this, this was last year when he talked to us about that. You can tell, I feel like, over a year here where he's been working on trying to put that in the back and stay himself. 
I don't think he comes out and talks the way he does in this interview, particularly in this clip we're about to talk about. I don't think he comes out and does this if he hasn't completely moved on from worrying about what anybody else has to say. Because it's not often you see players say things like Deion says here. All right, so if you haven't seen it yet, let me break down exactly what we're about to watch. And this is just a partial clip of a hour and a half, I'd say, long interview with Deion Dawkins. Now, this is from Vlad TV. And uh, they talk about a variety of different stuff. We'll talk about a couple other things they talk about in a second here. But the thing that stood out, the thing that's been making the headlines today is what Deion Dawkins had to say about the New York Jets. If we remember, Deion had, and this is this just goes to show you the uh, the lack of awareness I had in regard to the guy that he was getting into it with, with the Jets. I didn't know who the hell Michael Clemens was. The reason I know Michael Clemens right now is because of this incident with Deion Dawkins. But if you remember, after the Bills smoked the Jets, fresh off of Joe Brady getting hired, Deion Dawkins got into it a little bit with a player in the locker room after the game, not the locker room, the tunnel heading to the locker room. They got into it a little bit, and that had started out on the field. And Deion Dawkins, in this interview, not in this clip, but in this interview, he probably spends almost 10 minutes breaking down the entire thing. We'll talk about that in a second. But this is how he gets into talking about that situation and the Jets in particular. You don't see this every day. You don't see players come out and just shoot it straight like this. Here's Deion Dawkins on Vlad TV talking about the New York Jets and his incident this past season with Michael Clemens. Yeah. What happened? Weirdos being weird. <laughs> Weirdos being weird. You know, I don't even want to get a man no credit talking about him, you know, but number 72, Michael Clemens. Michael Clemens. Yeah. Yeah. Bitch boy. Um, <laughs> bitch boy. You know, I'm going to just keep it a buck. I hate them. All of them, bro. They are all some, like, when it comes to sports, right, there's people that play the sport because they love the sport, and then there's people that play the sport just to try to be cool. I feel like they play the sport to try to be cool. Like, those are a bunch of dudes that just want to take pictures on Instagram. <laughs> like, that's whack. Like, I play this because I'll die by it. Like, but yeah, like, Clemens, look, I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. Cause you know I want to. Let's go. Shall I fix myself in the seat? <laughs> <laughs> Tell you about your boy, man. You know, quick look, Quentin Williams, solid. I respect the dude. Quentin Williams is valid. I like him. Uh, when Ty Bowles smart, by the way, because Quentin Williams lining up on you know Quentin Williams coming after you. You don't want to be on Quentin Williams' bad side. One of the best D, D uh, linemen in the league. I, I love the fact that he. As he's taking a dump on the entire Jets organization, he makes sure to say, hey, Quentin Williams, you're all right in my book. They're respecting Temple guy, too. A couple guys. Even their, like, D-line coach, Ryan Davis, he was one of my teammates. Cool, I'm going to get them off the grid. Now, the rest of them, don't care. Don't like you. <laughs> but <laughs> Clemens. Maybe it's third quarter, maybe it's fourth. All right, so this is where Whatever. he starts getting into the whole thing. And I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll leave a comment down below after the show. You can go and watch this whole thing. It's about three quarters into the end of the interview where he starts from there and continues on on this conversation about Michael Clemens. 
But let's talk about what we just watched. And that's Deion Dawkins being asked a question that I feel like a lot of athletes get asked about. I mean, I listen to Dan Patrick a lot, the GOAT to me. Dan Patrick, Mount Rushmore of sports personalities all time. I don't think it gets any better than DP when it comes to interviewing really just about anything. Uh, And the reason I say interviewing, he to me is probably the best interviewer I have ever seen in my life. And one of the reasons why I say that is because he'll ask the questions that nobody else will ask. Like he'll ask you, who don't you like that you go against? Who's the toughest guy that you go against? Uh, what, what's the worst thing anybody said to you on the field? Those type of things. And we know, you know, guys like DP, there's others out there. will ask questions like this. And the answer will be like, ah, eh, you know, I don't have any beef for with anybody. I don't really talk all that crap, all, you know, crap out on the field. Eh, I don't really get into it with everybody. Now, that might be true for a lot of guys, but it probably is not 100% true for the majority of, of guys who, who are in that position getting asked that question. It's just that they don't want to say the, the, the correct answer. They don't want to give you an example. And that's because it turns into something like this, where we sit down and talk about it. It's a headline today all over the place. Everybody's talking about it. And I get that. Some people don't want that to be linked to them. What I like about this is that Dion just doesn't care. There's none of that anymore. There is just none of that. We constantly see our, you know, the endless cycle of take the podium or sit down on the couch for the interview, get asked the question, give the black and white answer. Okay, next question. Okay, next question. And To me, not only is it boring, but you can just read through it 99% of the time. It's inauthentic. If I have a, you know, a top football player who's been in the league for 15 years telling me, yeah, I never really got into it with anybody. I'm not buying that. Or if I got a guy telling me, you know, what are your thoughts on that, on that loss? And, and, And it's just a roundabout answer. Nothing passionate about it. I'm not buying it. It's just that you don't, they don't want to reveal the true colors because a lot of people look at it as what's to gain from me doing that. And I completely understand that, but that's why you have to appreciate guys like Dion because it goes against the grain and he's not worried about all the other things that come with responding to a question like that. When he's asked about the New York Jets, he flat out comes out and says, I hate them. He, 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 would, he would literally go on to say he hates that entire organization from top to bottom, essentially, outside of like three guys in it. Quinton Williams and a couple coaches. Hates them. And if you've noticed, especially the last decade or so, but it's felt like this for the majority of my life. These players, they're all buddies. And that's mainly because of free agency. Way back in the day, free agency wasn't even a thing. And when it became a thing, it wasn't as prominent as it is now. Guys hop from team to team all the time. It's not like the NBA, but it's more like the NBA than it's ever been, where guys are on different teams year in and year out, especially in the latter stages of their career. And I think because of that, you just don't see these deep-rooted, heated hatreds, rivalries being formed out on the field. Because, hey, if I'm on the Bills and I'm facing off against the Jets twice a year, 
do I want to be in the bad graces of this organization or guys on the team if there's a chance I could be a New York Jet, right? How often, I mean, we talk about McCole Hardman recently all the time. You're on a terrible team with the Jets. Say you're playing the Chiefs and you're bitching up a storm to Legereus Sneed out on the out on the field, right? Saying everything that you could possibly think of to the guy. A couple of weeks later, you're traded to the to the Chiefs. This stuff happens all the time. So I think that's a reason why you don't often see, one, players give answers to questions like this in an authentic manner. And two, I just don't know if it, all, if it happens as much as it used to. Maybe a lot of those guys who are answering DP's questions and the questions of what's going on on the field, this and that, maybe it's just, it's not a thing. We just saw that audio of George, uh, of George Kittle during the Super Bowl. He's like, hi, George. Like He's talking like to, to the guys the whole game. What we've seen over the last decade is a lot of jersey swapping, a lot of hugging, a lot of, hey, this and that during the game. And this is, that's fine. I'm not going to sit on here and advocate for, hey, you got to go out there and hate every single guy out on that field, right? You got to despise him. You can't even look their way. It should take everything in your power at the end of the game to, to go up and, and, and handshake the guy, right? Because you know how much I personally appreciate sportsmanship and those who go and do the right thing when the right thing is called for. That's why I've always stood up for Sean McDermott at the podium because he's one of those guys that's not often going to give you the uh, the off-the-beaten-path answer or maybe the direct answer you'd hope to hear like from Dion. but it's a different situation. Deion Dawkins is a left tackle. He's the guy out there putting you on the ground. Sean McDermott is the general of the franchise, the leader, the face, the guy who's got to go sit out there and talk about everything from the DeMar Hamlin situation all the way down to what did you do on that third down? You got to approach those situations differently when you're the head coach. That's why I've always stood up for him in that department. That's why I'll always stand up for Josh Allen in that department as well. I would much rather have my quarterback go up and give the diplomatic, politically correct answer. But when I got my left tackle being asked questions, you know, wide receiver, this and that, that's where I'm open for, hey, give me what you got because it's a lot different. And the last decade or so, you're just seeing a lot of love, and that's almost exclusive. There's no longer these, this feeling of tension between players and oftentimes between teams. That's why, as of late, I have loved what has become of the Bills and the Dolphins because you're at, you have two teams that were looking up at the New England Patriots for two decades. Now both teams are vying for the top of the AFC and, of course, the top of the AFC East. And it's rekindled that, that rivalry. You can feel it. You can see it, right? And then, of course, the Bills with the Chiefs, you feel it, you see it. And I just think it's something that's currently missing in the game. It used to be around in all major sports. If you watch the last dance, you saw what happened out, what would go on out on the court between the Bulls and the Knicks, right? Stuff like that. You saw what would happen back in the day in the NFL. These guys hated each other hated each other and I think now you just don't see a lot of that that's why I welcome it that's why I like it you can sit down and watch this and be like man what a scumbag right what a dick who comes out and says I hate this whole organization you should hate the Jets if you're on the Bills you should despise the New York Jets if you are on the Bills that's a team you have to face twice a year every year it doesn't get more, to me, it, it, it doesn't set up 
Hate, hatred isn't set up on a silver platter more than it is within the division. Why do you think we hate Tom Brady so much? There's a lot of people out there who don't hate Tom Brady. We hate Tom Brady because we were on the waxing end of what he had going on for 20 years. The inner division is where you should see the most hatred. The Bills should hate the Jets. Everybody out on that field should say, hate the Jets. But you're not going to hear 99% of the guys say it. But you're going to hear Deion Dawkins say it. And he's not going to hesitate. He's not going to mince words. He's going to just shoot it straight down the middle, right on the bullseye. Now, he's typically the guy who's going to give you, like I keep saying, his authentic answer. But even this, I was stunned at. To come out and say you hate the whole team, you just don't see it. And I absolutely love it. I think he even goes further on that, though. Because when you say, I hate the whole team, yeah, okay, wow. Shocks you a bit. But he attacks their willingness to play the game. He attacks the integrity of how they play football. And that is what really stood out. Let's go back to the moment here after he says that he hates the Jets. Let's go back to the moment here where he talks about how he views the New York Jets and, and how they approach the game of football. Because he, he he says what I feel like no athlete would want to be accused of. Yeah. What? There's people that play the sport because they love the sport, and then there's people that play the sport just oh, to try to be cool. I right? There's people that play the sport because they love the sport, and then there's people that play the sport just to try to be cool. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. But it's something that if I was an athlete and I was and I was um, accused of that, that would hit home. Because there are guys in the NFL, and we talk about this a lot on here, there are guys in the NFL who aren't in it for the love of the game. They are in it for the paycheck. They are in it for the fame, the celebrity, what comes with being an NFL player, right? If you reach the highest of highs, multi-million dollars, right? Millions, millions, millions. Add endorsements, right? Obviously, publicity, fame. Look at Travis Kelsey. Do you think he's dating Taylor Swift today? If he's not a future Hall of Famer, I highly doubt it. There are guys that are playing the sport with the intentions of having all of that come to fruition for them. And that's totally fine. You don't go to your job tomorrow or at least you don't go to your job every day. Hey, I just want to go and do this because I love it. If you are like that, I, I mean, I couldn't be more happy for you. There's nothing more in, I think, there's, there's very few things in life better than being able every day to wake up and go and do what you love for a living. That is something that most people can't say. And if it is something that you are lucky enough to have, I mean, I, I can't emphasize how lucky you truly are. Now, most people would say the NFL would be one of those type of jobs. How could you not wake up every day and feel like you are the luckiest man alive because you get to go and play football at the highest level? You get to go and do the thing that we are all fanatics about, get to do the thing that we are so obsessed with and love so much. You get to put that out on display, right? We couldn't fathom how you couldn't just love that for what it is. But that's not the case. And that's fine. 
Most of us go to go to work every day because it pays the bills, because you have to. Not bringing money in, good luck. And that's why everybody's got to have a job. It's tough to understand that some jobs, like the NFL, are like your job that you're going to tomorrow for that particular player. There's players in the NFL during the season that wake up and go to the facility and feel the same way pulling into the facility as you feel clocking in tomorrow morning. That's just the, that's just the truth. And I'll reemphasize, that's fine. As long as you're doing your job to the best of your ability, I can't, I can't require you to love the game. I can't require you to be completely bought in and live and breathe this. As long as you're coming and giving me 100%, you're doing everything you possibly can out on that field when your time is, is called, I can't really, there's nothing I'm going to be able to do to get that out of you because you either have that or you don't. And when we sat down with Dion Rico and I, he could not stop talking about how much it means to him to be blocking for Josh Allen. He doesn't talk about, I mean, he's well compensated, of course, obviously, but he doesn't talk about the chains he's got on. He doesn't talk about the house he's got out in Miami. What he was talking to us about, how much of an honor it is to him every single snap to be blocking for 17 because he feels He's a future first ballot Hall of Famer, and he feels like he plays a major role in his ability to succeed. That's what fuels Dion. That is what makes him every single day, every single snap, go out there and give his all. Because he's completely bought in. He lives and breathes it. And if you are somebody like that, it's gotta be, it's gotta be awfully offensive to you to be playing against guys or see guys that you view are the complete opposite. And I feel like as an athlete, if you are accused of being like that, it's got to really hit home. You know how there's some things, you could say the meanest thing in the world to somebody. You could call somebody a name or whatever, and it might not hit home or it might not come across as piercing as saying some of the simpler things that really hit home. You know what I'm talking about? There's something, there's something you can say to people it might not be particularly gut-wrenching to some, but to others, ruins them. And I feel like if I was an athlete and I was accused of it, you're not even in this for the game, man. You're in this for Instagram. You're in this for taking the pictures, right? You're in this for hitting the red carpet. That wouldn't sit right with me. And he basically said the entire Jets team is that. One guy who bounced back was Sauce Gardner. Now, it's tough to have a name like Sauce and not be a guy who you feel like he's got, he's got some of that, uh, that aura to him. And Sauce certainly does, and he's got the play on the field to back it up. But Sauce Gardner had some comments, and Sauce Gardner said something like, oh, he's trying to be cool. He goes on this shirt, or he goes on this show shirtless or whatever. That was his clapback, and he would go on to delete it. But you'd have to think Dion had sauce Gardner underneath of that umbrella I wonder if he had Aaron Rodgers underneath of that umbrella I don't think you can accuse accuse Aaron Rodgers of that throughout the longevity of his career but maybe as of late maybe as of late I don't think that that's an unfair accusation to Aaron Rodgers seems like he's been doing everything but benefiting the New York Jets there are some things 
you can say that would come across as hurtful. And I certainly think saying I hate that whole team would be one of them. But I don't think that that comes nearly as, as piercing to the soul of, a, of an organization and a player than you guys aren't in this for anything but what comes from it. I wonder what comes of this next season. I've been thinking about when the schedule comes out, what we're going to see. Of course, the primetime games are what you look at and where they're located and who they're against and where on the schedule they fall. And I've been wondering with the return of Aaron Rodgers, if the Bills are going to face off against the Jets in a primetime fashion again. I don't think this will be forgotten. It'll be forgotten over the interim period here between now and the season. But when these guys link up again, this is there. There's no taking this away. And I like that. We haven't had anything to worry about with the Jets as of, as of late. Now, they have gotten our, our number a couple of times. No question about it. I don't think anybody defensively has played against Josh Allen better. But when it comes to an overall, you know, am I, am I worrying about the Chiefs? Yeah. Am I worrying about the Bengals? Yeah. You worried about the Jets? Nah. Even though you know that they've gotten the best, you know that they're capable of it. It's not the way you think about the Jets. But I think now this adds another element to it. Because I think it just, it has to. I don't know how you can go on a, on a public platform. I think Vlad TV here has like 5 million subscribers. And of course, Sports Illustrated picks this up and NBC, everybody picks it up and talks about it. This is going to be something that will be brought up and will be a part of next year's games against the Jets. And I've been thinking that the, the Jets might see the Bills again in one of those primetime fashions early on in the year like we saw this past season. And it gets you that much more excited for it. Because I don't think that there's that much that you get overly amped about when the Bills play the Jets. But this is one thing I think adds a little fuel to that fire. Um, but the reason this all happened, and you'll see this later on in the interview if you go and watch it after the show here. But he talks about the situation that sparked this whole hatred, really, for him and, and, and toward, you know, towards the Jets and with Michael Clemens. And, and this goes back to essentially what he told Rico and I. He said out on the field, Michael Clemens went up and was jawing at Josh Allen, talking shit. And Dion said to Vlad TV here, he said, you don't, no one talks to Josh Allen. You don't talk to him. You don't go up to, to Josh Allen and talk anything. You don't say anything to him. And I love that. He would say that this Clemens guy, he was basically telling everybody on that, on that offense to go, to go, you know, piss in the street. But he said he went, Josh Allen in particular is where he really fueled him up. And I guess he went and popped him on a, uh, on a pull block. When the left tackle pulls, runs to the right. He said Joe Brady kind of summoned this play in the most perfect time. Because as he was jawing back and forth with Clemens is when Joe Brady called the, the play for Dawkins to pull. And he just flattened him. And then I guess he belly flopped on top of him. And then they went at it inside of the uh, um, the tunnel going into the into the locker room. But it was the Josh Allen part that stood out to me the most because I just don't think that that's I don't think everybody's like that. And the first thing I thought of is what he said to Rico and I about how much it means to him to be blocking for Josh Allen. And you can just see that this isn't something that he just said to us for the hell of it. This is something he lives and breathes every play. Because you got a guy from the Jets up John with Josh Allen, and this literally sparks him like seeing red from that essentially in that alone. And it's pretty much 
boil down to his hatred for the New York Jets. So, love Dion. I thought it was interesting in the beginning of the offseason here to get a soundbite from him like this because you have to wait quite some time for the Bills to take, a, take the field again, especially against the New York Jets. But when you do, this will be something that we will resurface and bring back up because I think it's worth noting. There's now this element of Dion versus the Jets, which I think is interesting because you just don't see it anymore. I mean, I would implore you to go and find the, a, a recent clip from a player or a coach or somebody where they come out and they just flat out say they hate another team and they start giving you X, Y, and Z reason as to why. And when it comes to the Jets as well, it almost makes sense, doesn't it? It just feels like the last year for the Jets, not that many years prior to that have been anything to, to, to celebrate, but this past year in totality for the Jets has just been an absolute nightmare. It, it, what positives can you take away? And it feels like every time you hear something coming out of East Rutherford, it's just negative. And then you add this on top of it, where you don't hear anybody ever talking about how much they hate a team or they hate players. And the one time you do hear it is from Dion, and it's about the Jets. It's just one more thing on the pile, and it's little. In the grand scheme of all these things, it's a little thing. But it just feels like every time you hear something about the Jets, it's never positive, ever. And I always go back to, to reasons why you should be thankful to be a fan of the Bills in this current time, because even though they're not winning the Super Bowl, right, and even though they've been bounced three consecutive years in the divisional, it can always be much, much worse. And it's not just talking about things on the field. It just feels like all the time there's stuff coming out of the Jets' locker room. There's stuff surrounding the Jets that's negative. There's bad energy. And it just feels like everybody sees that, including the players. So I love it. It gives me the vibe that not everybody's going to be tolerant. They're not going to overly love this type of stuff. But to me, I love it. I'd love to see more of this. You know, if tomorrow I saw, uh, I don't know, Jordan Poyer go on a podcast and say, man, I can't stand the Miami Dolphins, you know, this, that. I, I just would love that. I, I would love it. Because we all feel that way. And... I think that that's what makes it so relatable. And that's what makes it kind of, you know, at least for me, resonates with me. Because you want the players to be as bought in and to be as passionate as you are. And I know that's kind of weird to say, because you're like, how could the player not be as passionate as the guy at home sitting on the couch watching the game? Well, as I was talking to you, talking to you about earlier, it's not always the case. It's not always the case. There are people at home watching the game on, on you know, there's people at home on the weekends watching the game that are more passionate about what's going on on the field than some of the players. It's just the truth. And you just love to see guys wear it on their sleeve and tell you point blank. Because that to me is just a lost art in this game. I have no problem with these guys being bodies. I think like Mahomes and Allen, you know, when they did the match there and you, they do stuff in the off season, like, that's fine with me. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. There's people that do. But there's also other instances, like when we saw Tua losing the wild card to Mahomes, and the first thing, or one of the first things he says to him after the game when they're talking uh, uh, at midfield is he asks him for a jersey swap. I got a problem with that, right? If after the divisional game, one of the first things Josh Allen says to Mahomes, or if he says it at all, to be honest with you, like even at all, 
if the, if the, if if Allen meets Mahomes at the at the midfield mark after losing the divisional, I was like, hey, you want to swap jerseys? I it would make me sick. I'd come on here and bitch about that for an hour. So there's levels to this. I'm fine with when the dust settles. It's it's the game's not going on, right? You're not in the heat of the moment. It didn't just end ten seconds ago. Like I would rather have what Mahomes did to Allen. I'd rather have him so pissed that he goes and literally says something to Allen about it than I would him going up and asking for a jersey swap. At least I know the guy is completely, he's so irate that even though it's, it's just not a good look and it's just not what you do in that moment, it's better than literally acting like what just happened didn't really mean anything. I hate seeing signs from players and organizations that makes it seem like that they don't care. Now, I'm sure Tua cares. I'm sure, of course, he cares. But in those moments, it's tough to it's tough to feel as a fan who just watched your team have their season end. It's tough to feel as a fan as you watch that, like he cares as much as you do. So this is the stuff that I think is is just not in the game anymore that I'd love to see a little bit more of. I'm not talking about every time you hear someone open their mouth in an interview, they're shit talking to somebody. I'm not saying that, but. You just don't see it at all. And a little bit here and there, especially when it comes to your biggest rivals, especially when it comes against, you know, teams that you have personally as a fan disliked forever. When you are seeing, uh, you know, some of your best players come out and vocalize that and they're not shying away from how they personally feel. I think it's absolutely awesome. So once again, there's a full interview that you can go and check out from Vlad TV. And he talks about a variety of different things, including his loss or the Bills lost, rather, to the Kansas City Chiefs again in the playoffs. There's one thing about that that I want to touch on before we move on to talking about what Sean McDermott had to say to Tim Graham. Um, Dion was asked about the Super Bowl uh, victory for the Chiefs and what they've been doing as a team and how they've been culminating this dynasty. And, you know, he was talking about how it's kind of come at their expense. And he had said he said something that I think I've said on here before. And once again, you just love hearing this from the player because there's thoughts that you'll have as a fan that you're not necessarily sure how the team's feeling or how players are feeling. But he said that they've come in and just gotten their number, right? They've given them, you know, everything they could and they've been this close, but they just got all these puzzle pieces figured out. And it's a formula that has been doing nothing but winning these guys championships. But he said that, if there were no Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills would be doing the same thing. And I wholeheartedly agree. I think I said on here before, if the Chiefs were in the NFC, the Bills by now would have at least made one Super Bowl. There is not a shadow of a doubt. There is not a single doubt in my mind that if the Kansas City Chiefs were in the NFC, the Bills would have at least been to a Super Bowl. Now, maybe in that Super Bowl, <coughs> they lose to the Chiefs there. Based on our, our, our track record here, the history, that's probably what would end up being the case. But I'm telling you, if they didn't have to go through Kansas City in the playoffs, there's no question to me that they would have been to at least one Super Bowl. And Dion says, if there was no Chiefs, the Bills would be doing the same thing. And that, of course, is why it's so frustrating. And that's why I have been advocating for what this team has been doing as of late against these guys, because everybody wants to come out and bitch about what they're not doing against the chiefs. 
failing to recognize that nobody else is doing it either. And when you really take it, take it further and look at it with a magnifying glass, nobody is giving it more of an effort. Nobody is doing it better than the Bills. It just doesn't matter. And when you factor that in, if nobody's doing it better against a team that can't be beat, wouldn't that team be the next in line if that team that can't be beat wasn't around? I would say yes. And it's got to be, I know how frustrating it is for us. I mean, imagine how frustrating it's got to be for these guys because they know it too. They know it too. They know how close they are. It's like what Josh Allen said immediately after the loss in the divisional. Just got to make one more play than them. That's really all it's been. That's really all it's been. It's been one play. It's not getting the ball to Shakir on that throw, right? Getting hit by Chris Jones and it comes up short or not going to digs on the crossing pattern or Tyler Bass making the kick and who knows what happens after that. Not uh, leaving 13 seconds on the clock and playing prevent defense. One play, one play, one play here. That's what it's been. And to hear him say that, you know, it really emphasizes my thoughts that I've had all along. And that is, look, at I think that this Bills team has been one of the best in football and certainly would have something to show for it if it weren't for this newfound dynasty forming before our eyes at the cost of the Buffalo Bills. That's what's been the most demoralizing part of this is because when Brady retires, this immediately came to fruition and has been building and building and building. And you can't find an example where the Bills haven't been on the short end of the stick. The shortest end of the stick, really, in some circ- in, in some instances. And it really does feel like if that weren't the case, this team would certainly have a Chiefs-type feel. Now, when I say Chiefs-type feel, I'm not talking about what they're doing currently. Because I don't, I don't, I don't think that's that, that this is rare. It's just rare. But they would have a feel, a feel of um like they can't lose. Right? they would have a feel of they're going to be the team to get there. You wouldn't have the feel of, but they got to get by the Chiefs. I think the Bills would be the team you got to get by. But that's that's the game, man. Game of inches, and the Chiefs have just had one more inch up on these Bills for the last several seasons, and that's really all it's been. But the thing of it is, they've just had a little bit of an inch here and a little bit of an inch here over everybody. I mean, it was it, it, it was inches, not feet, when it came to the 49ers game, right? Inches not feet last year when it came to the Eagles game. Inches not feet against the Bills in the 13 second game in the divisional game. I mean, it's just been what it's been. But he does share that with Vlad TV that he feels like the Bills would be doing Kansas City Chiefs type things if it weren't for the Chiefs. And I completely agree because it does make you feel as you watch these two teams battle every year. It does make you feel like the gap between the two, just it, it, it isn't massive at all. It's just that one team somehow finds that one play every time and one team doesn't. But at the same, at the, you know, at the same time, and I've shared this with you before when we're talking about this particular situation, it does make you feel somewhat decent, I think. I think you feel better today if you're the Buffalo Bills and the way that, that things wound up shaking out than you do the Baltimore Ravens. I, 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 I genuinely feel that way. I mean, the Ravens just didn't show up in that game. They went against everything that makes Baltimore Ravens football, Baltimore Ravens football. They completely bailed on the run game. Lamar looked like a shell of himself, certainly not like the MVP. And even though the score was close and the Chiefs were never able to pull away offensively, the Baltimore Ravens didn't do anything that whole game. 
and for doing all that they did all year long to earn the one seed and to earn Lamar Jackson MVP, you couldn't have felt worse leaving that game because everything you saw all regular season was nowhere to be found in that big game. And then, and then of course, the Miami Dolphins game is even more to that point because that's a team that you know when they're clicking, when the elements are right, they can be as dangerous as anybody. You want to talk about getting rolled. They made what happened to Baltimore look like, you know, a Saturday morning cartoon. The Bills were smack dab in the middle of those two, and I just feel like all three of them had to go home the way I look at it, even though it all winds up with the same consolation prize, and that's a whole lot of nothing. To me, as a Bills fan, I look around at all the other outcomes, and I just feel like I feel personally best about what the Bills were able to do in that game than what anybody else was able to do. Um, Speaking of Super Bowls, Sean McDermott had some thoughts about where he currently feels the Bills are when it comes to finally getting over that Chiefs hump and finally bringing a Super Bowl to Western New York. He sat down with Tim Graham of The Athletic for a sit-down interview, which is awesome because I feel like you don't see a lot of those, you know, all the time. You don't really see a whole lot of one-on-one lengthy interviews. You get a lot of articles and stuff from press conferences and the -the run-of-the-mill stuff you see all the time. But one-on-one interviews are, you know, somewhat seldom in comparison. And Tim Graham got a lot of good information from Sean McDermott about where he currently sits and how he currently feels about where things are with the Bills and how he feels about things moving forward. Before we touch on that, I want to give a quick shout-out to my friends over at BetUS. As you know, free agency, man, it's right around the corner, and I'm finding this very interesting. We know the Bills got to hunt down a wide receiver. And there's no question to me that at some point in the draft, the Bills are taking at least one. In my opinion, they have got to go, they got to go at least double dip in the draft at, at, at wide receiver. And they got to do it early. I, I don't I don't think that there's there's no there's no more waiting around to find the hidden gem. There's no more waiting around to go and get Josh Allen a guy. They haven't done it. The only time that they've done it is when last year they went out and got Dalton Kincaid, and we still have to see what that progresses into. But they have not gone and gotten Josh, a, a, a wide receiver in the draft at all. If it weren't for making that move on Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, it, it, really, it really puzzles you. They have not built an adequate weaponry around him through the draft. And I feel like this coming year is the time. But it might not just be in the draft. It could very well be in free agency as well. And now we know the Buffalo Bills are well over $30 million uh, above the cap right now, or excuse me, underneath the cap, certainly in a hole. But with stuff like they did today, restructuring Connor McGovern, you, you shave off a little bit here, a little bit there. And it could be interesting as to what moves they might make. And one of them could be for a wide receiver. And BetUS right now has the odds for uh, where the landing spots could be for a variety of free agents. And they have currently two wide receivers that have the Buffalo Bills in regard. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day to find out more. Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Part of the betting market as top five landing spots. So here's Mike Evans, of course, has spent his entire career with the Tampa Bay Bucks, and he's had a great career at that. He's probably the, I mean, when history looks back on it, he might be the greatest receiver in Bucks history. He has been nothing short of spectacular, but he's not getting any younger and he certainly wants to get paid. Not entirely sure if the Bucs are going to wind up figuring out a way for him to stay because he has advocated that he does want to retire as a Tampa Bay Buck, but I don't know if they're going to be able to give him the compensation that he's probably looking for. Neither do I think the bill. I mean, neither do I think the bills will, will be able to, but it all depends on what winds up being the main priority for Mike Evans. if him and Tampa Bay aren't able to work things out because like I said, he has advocated on his own behalf for staying and retiring in Tampa Bay. But if it doesn't work out, these are currently the top five favorites for, uh, for Mike Evans landing spot. Now, number one, not good. I don't like seeing that. And this wouldn't shock me at all. What were we just talking about? We were talking about this last week. We were talking about it with Gabe Davis. When Gabe Davis dropped that Instagram video, essentially saying farewell to the Buffalo Bills, there was somebody who came in here and essentially predicted it. He said, I, I, I think Gabe Davis is going to the Chiefs. And I hadn't given that a thought because it was all kind of happening in real time. But as we were kind of moving through uh, what we had seen from Gabe Davis's Instagram and what we can expect moving forward, and you're kind of coming to terms with the fact that eh, he's probably done in Buffalo, Kansas City makes a whole lot of sense. They just won a Super Bowl with, with Rasheed Rice as their number one wide receiver. They are going to be going heavy, I would imagine, in that department. That's why the Bills can't sleep. And right now, the favorite to land Mike Evans would be the Kansas City Chiefs. The second favorite would be those New York Jets we just spent 45 minutes talking about, right beneath the Kansas City Chiefs. So you got two of your rivals up here at the top, but the Bills are rounding out the bottom here at five at plus 900. So the odds aren't great right now for the Bills to land Mike Evans, but they're still in the top five right now, according to BetUS, uh, as a landing spot for Mike Evans. Now, the one that I don't, I don't see this happening. I don't see the Bills paying Mike Evans, who's going on 30 years old. I just don't see this working out. This, this to me, does not feel like a feasible move. I don't see it in the cards. One thing that I, one that I could see happening, though, is Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley rejoins the Jaguars last year after being suspended, right? And I feel like he's been forgotten about a bit. But Calvin Ridley is one of those guys. Mike Evans is a huge household name, right? Mike Evans is has been one of the better wide receivers in the league for some time now. He is more of a household name than Calvin Ridley is. And what comes with those type of name, with that type of name, really, is 
The more recognition, the more money you can expect to pay when it comes to stuff like free agency. But he's older, and the money that he's going to cost in, in, in terms of bringing him from Tampa Bay to Buffalo and getting value out of him worth that amount at his current age, I just don't see it. But Calvin Ridley, right? Prime of his career. Under the radar because of that suspension, the Jags fell off last year, so you don't really hear much about Calvin Ridley because of it. He's one of those guys I could certainly see a move being made on, and I think it would be the smarter move. I'm getting longer, I'm getting longevity out of him, right? If I want it. I'm probably getting him for a cheaper price, I would imagine. And I also think he fits that wide receiver two role perfectly. Mike Evans has always been a wide receiver one. I don't think he's going to be able to be a wide receiver one the way he has been, of course, for that much longer, or at least to a dollar amount that would be, I don't know, representative of that. Calvin really, to me, seems like more of an under-the-radar steal type guy. He's still one of the best wide receiver free agents available right now, don't get me wrong, but when it comes to a guy that I think a splash move could be made on, this might be one of them. The Chiefs are still right up there, as are the Jets. And, and, th- and this doesn't show you nothing, Will. I mean, these the, the Chiefs are going to be loading up at wide receiver. BetUS in these last two graphics has the Chiefs as number one to land Mike Evans and number two to, to land Calvin, Calvin Ridley. And the Jets are right there as well. The Jets offensively, it doesn't get much worse. They got nothing going on. It, it, they, they, they essentially on offense are, are complete blank slate. There is nothing on offense right now for the New York Jets that they feel 100% positive about. And they are going to have to go out and continue to try and take chances here, there, and everywhere to build this offense up in order to alleviate some of the pressure from the defense. Because if the Jets can get their offense up to, up to snuff, I mean, really, if they can improve their offense by 25%, that's a team that's threatening for the playoffs. So... You're seeing the Chiefs and the Jets in the mix right towards the top to land a couple of the top free agents at the wide receiver position, but the Bills are right there in the mix. The Bills right here at plus 800, number four to land Calvin Ridley. If we're talking about these two in comparison, Mike Evans and Calvin Ridley, I could see the Bills making a move for Calvin Ridley, and I would love it. I think that would be a great addition, and I think he'd be a guy that would immediately fit a wide receiver two role perfectly. And if you go into the draft and draft a couple of other guys that you're able to develop, right, get the most out of Stephon Diggs towards the end here, allow Khalil Shakir to get to get better and better, allow Dalton Kincaid to come up, we could start talking about the next wave of this Bills organization being right on par with what it's been the last handful of seasons here. So BetUS currently has these odds rolling. Bills plus 800 to land Calvin Ridley, plus 900 to land Mike Evans. If you want to get in on that and you want to say, hey, I can see Calvin Ridley going to the Bills, you can head over to BetUS right now. Link in the description below. They will give you a 125% sign-up bonus on your first three deposits up to $2,500. I might I might throw a couple bucks on the Bills to land Calvin Ridley. One, I could see it happening. Now, I, I, do I think it's a great chance? No, but I could see it happening. And two, it gives me, it gives me more reason to root for it. I would love if the Bills wound up making that move. Would love it. So you can get it on that too. Link in the description below. All right, let's talk about Sean McDermott. So like I said, Sean McDermott sat down with Tim Graham of The Athletic, and they had a one-on-one interview talking about a variety of things from the season, this postseason, how they're looking forward 
And uh, the headline that's been circulating around today from that interview has been what Sean McDermott had to say about where the Bills currently are in the Super Bowl window and how he views what, you know, what that looks like, how he views what this team's capable of. And this is what Sean McDermott had to say. Quote, it's a matter of when, not if we win a Super Bowl. Sean McDermott's as confident as ever. Sean McDermott doesn't think that there is a possibility the Bills can win a Super Bowl. Sean McDermott thinks there is a certainty the Bills can win a Super Bowl. Now, most coaches would probably say that. If you were if you were the coach of the Bills, I think anybody would probably say that because you have there's some validity to it. You know, Russell Wilson the other day says he wants to win two Super Bowls in the next five years. I, I don't see the validity behind that. I don't even know where he's going to be playing quarterback next year. So there's sometimes you say stuff like that and you're just like, eh, this isn't one of those situations. I love this. And I also hate it, if that makes sense. I hate it because you're just waiting for the when, right? You're just waiting for the when. Because as we were just talking about, as we've been talking about for months now, the bills are good enough to do it. And you're just waiting for that to pay off. But it hasn't. So you know it's as of late, it's a matter of when are they going to get over the hump. It hasn't been a matter of are they going to get over the hump. Because you know that they're capable of giving over the hump. It's just when is it going to happen? And it hasn't happened. And you might say, well, what do you mean, Zima? They haven't proved they're capable of getting over the hump. They have a winning record at Arrowhead. They have proved they're capable of beating the team in front of them. They just haven't been able to do it in the cracks that count the most. They have the most wins against the Chiefs. They are tied with the Bengals for the most wins against the Chiefs since Mahomes has become quarterback of the Chiefs. They are certainly capable of doing it in the moments that have mattered. The I know this doesn't, I know you might hear me. You might be like, well, they, it still doesn't matter. It was the moments that counted the most. They haven't proved it, but the team that they have to beat, they have proven that they can beat. They have a damn even record with the guys, right? So the reason you hate it is because you're just waiting for it. But the reason you love it is because if you're like me, it, it's so hard to feel like 10, 20 years from now, or however long, that you're going to look back and see that Josh Allen has got nothing to show for how great he is. That's what keeps me holding on. It's so hard for me to look down the, the road. I mean, let's talk about, you know, how, you know how you see Jim Kelly nowadays, or you see Dan Marino, and, you, and, and you, you reflect on their careers every time you see them. Let's imagine you got Josh Allen in that situation 30 years from now. It's so tough for me to imagine looking at Josh Allen and looking back and thinking, man, they didn't do anything with that guy. He's one of the best talents I've ever seen in my lifetime. And when you combine that with the fact that they have been this close every time, it does make you think that it's an, it's an inevitability at some point they're going to they're gonna at least get there. I don't know if they're ever going to win it. You can't say anything's inevitable with these Buffalo Bills. They've never won one, so it's certainly not inevitable. But it's super hard for me to think that they don't at least get to one. I have a tough time thinking as I look back on the career of Josh Allen that he does not make a Super Bowl. 
And at this point, we got to start taking baby steps. I just want to get over the hump, right? Of making it out of the dance and into the final game, right? I just want to get there. I just want to have a starting point. Getting bounced in the in the second round anymore. It's I mean we need to start progressively moving back towards representing the reason why these Bills have been a Super Bowl favorite the last handful of seasons. Getting bounced in the second round isn't representative of that. At the bare minimum, they have got to at least start getting to AFC championships, and in my opinion, they have got to start getting to at least a bowl within the next couple of seasons just to show it. Because you know that the capability is there, but you just haven't seen it. And when I look ahead and I think of what I am going to remember from Josh Allen 20 years from now, it's hard for me to think that I watched that guy do what he did on the field, and there was just nothing there, nothing to show for, not even a Super Bowl appearance. I know Dan Marino gets shit on all the time for never winning one, and he's always coined as the best to never win one. He at least got to one. When you look back at Dan Marino, you at least remember him playing in the Super Bowl. He was obviously great enough to get there, and that's, of course, why he's remembered the way he is. I mean, when you think about it, isn't it really hard to think that the guy who could go 10-plus years here as being the second-best quarterback in the entire league behind a guy many are already coining the GOAT, isn't it hard to believe that that guy doesn't at least make one? And I think Sean McDermott's essentially saying this. I think Sean McDermott knows what he's got. I think he knows how close they are. And I think in his mind, it's just, it it has got to pay off at some point. It has got to happen. And I feel like I understand where he's coming from. Because not only have they shown that they can get this close, year in and year out, but look what he's done collectively. He's really done an, an extraordinary job with these Buffalo Bills. Right? 73 and 41, already the winningest coach percentage-wise in, in Bills history. He has the best winning percentage in Bills history. I think he has the 15th best winning percentage, according to Tim Graham in this article, than any other team in the uh, history of the NFL based on the amount of games that they've coached. Uh, that would include the amount that Sean McDermott has coached. He has got to feel like they, they, they have done enough. And in the article with Tim Graham, he essentially gives a vibe that he like he knows this. He gives the vibe that it's eating at him as much as it eats at all of us. Constantly in this article, he continues to reference how much he wants to do it for the fans. The article starts off by talking about a TV that's on in the background where they're sitting down and, and conducting the interview. And of course, ironically enough, NFL Network was replaying the top games of the year, and it just so happened that the Bills Chiefs were on the TV. And McDermott looks over at it, and Tim Graham eloquently kind of relays what the moment was like, and, and McDermott's sitting there watching. It was almost just like he's in disbelief once again that you know it, it doesn't go their way. And he emphasizes how much it hits home for him when he sees the fans disappointed. And he continuously talks about how he wants it as much for the fans as he does for himself and for the organization. And I've always, I've always believed that. I've always believed that. I feel like if you are a part of this organization and where it's located, there's no way you can't have that vibe. When you go and play a game in Bill's stadium, 
How can you not want to be the guy that brought everything to those people that you look around and see are losing their mind on a weekly basis? How can you not want to be the guy that gave those people everything they've always wanted? It's got to motivate you almost more than anything. You imagine what you would be like for the city of Buffalo if you wound up winning a Super Bowl. You imagine what Sean McDermott's legacy is as a human being. You imagine what Josh Allen's legacy is as a human being if he brings a Super Bowl title to Buffalo. I mean, there, there, there's, I can't think of much. I mean, there's the, the, the old cliche, oh, he'll never pay for a drink in this town again. I don't think he'd pay for his own home. I mean, I, I don't think, would he pay for anything ever again? If McDermott lived in Buffalo his whole life after winning a Super Bowl with the Bills, groceries, I mean, free, home, free, here, here's a car. I mean, re- seriously, McDermott goes to buy a car five years after they win the Super Bowl. Uh, don't you see the dealer being like, ah, here, take it. That's not happening everywhere else. You'd be enshrined forever. They'd probably build a statue. You're not in a situation. The most people are in a situation like that where you can become an icon. You can become immoral, essentially. If you win a Super Bowl for this city, you will become immortal. You will never be forgotten. You will be synonymous with the city itself. You will be linked to the success of that organization till the end of time. No one will ever be able to take it away from you. And everybody who lived through all of this shit with this team forever, you'll be the person that you, you'll be the person to thank. I can't even imagine what it must feel like. Now, granted, this goes two ways. This goes two ways. But I can't imagine what it feels like to be the guy every day to wake up in the morning and know I can be the guy to do that. I'm in the position to be able to do it. That's why it's got to hurt so much because it does go two ways. Because if it does happen, you get all those things I just said. I mean, that's a reality. You are going to become. I, I, I don't even know the right word to describe it. But if you fall short and continuously do, it it has it, got to eat at you. It has got to eat you alive. And I think that that's what's been happening. Because when you know that you have that opportunity to do that, and you've been this close to doing it, and if you're 13 seconds here or a made kick here or there, you can become that guy and you don't do it. I mean, you think we're sick. And believe me, we're sick. After that 13-second game, go back to where you were. How many days asleep did you lose after that? How many words did you utter out of your own mouth over the next week? I could count on two hands how many I did. Imagine how you got to feel to be the guy in the position to have been able to change the outcome. And to have been able to reap the rewards of what came with that. So I do feel like when he says, I want this for the fans as much as any, or more than I want it for myself or for the organization itself, I wholeheartedly believe him. I think people might just say stuff like that all the time. Oh, we do it for the fans. Oh, I love my fans, whatever. No, no, no. I, I, I genuinely believe when he says that it is 100% sincere. Because I don't know how it couldn't be. Maybe some other fan bases and some other cities, it doesn't factor in as much because it's just not what this is. What this is, is everything. What the Bills are to Buffalo, they are everything. 
So if you can bring everything to the people who look at the team as everything, I mean, when you think about the Los Angeles area, right, or you think about the New York City area, we talk about this all the time on here. It's just different when you go to Kansas City, when you go to Green Bay, when you go to Buffalo. It just means more. No one's building a statue of Stan Kroenke because he's the owner of the of, of the Rams when they win the, the Super Bowl. You're right. No one's building a, a statue of Matt Stafford outside of SoFi Stadium. It, it just ain't happening. Right? You got to do what Kobe did for 20 years. You essentially have to become the face of the city in order to get a statue or Shaq, right? You got to become that. That's what they would be in Buffalo. So I think it's a different, it's a different motivation that not everybody else has in this league. So that's why I do feel like it's 100% sincere. Now, when he says it's a matter of when, not if. Now, if you would have said, eh, maybe we win one. I mean, that would have been a headline in itself. Oh, Sean McDermott not confident in the Bills' ability. So, of course, he has to say this. But I love his ability to get back up. Because he tells Tim Graham that even though that they have bowed out every time, their ability to get back there and do everything it takes to continuously be one of the, one of the top teams in this league is what continues to keep them going. And I feel like that is uh, on one foot. It definitely would seem discouraging. You continuously keep going and you fall flat, you fall flat, but I also see where it's got to be motivating. I feel like Sean McDermott, who did tell Tim Graham he did watch the Super Bowl, right? Of course, we know that he used to coach under Andy Reid. A lot of times people think that these coaches and stuff, they won't watch. It's too much. I can't watch. You don't think they're watching the Super Bowl? I mean, come on. I feel like if I'm Sean McDermott and I'm sitting there watching that Super Bowl, I I, I probably feel better than anybody. Because you prove in that moment, look, it's, it's not just me. It's not just us. Kyle Shanahan's been one of the best coaches in this league since he's been a head coach. There, he's been get, getting shit on for his decision to not kick the ball in overtime, right, this and that. This is what the Chiefs do to teams. This is what they do. You know how many people in Baltimore right now want Harbaugh fired? A lot. I've been seeing it everywhere. They want Harbaugh canned because they lost to the Chiefs. You know how much shit I've been seeing thrown out about Kyle Shanahan because they lost in overtime to the Chiefs. Nick Sirianni might get fired next year. He was, last year, he was in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. This is what these guys do to everybody. It just feels like it's only the Bills because it's really the only ones we give a damn about. It's happening everywhere. So if I'm Sean McDermott and I'm sitting there, this is why he's saying this. Because he sits there and watches it, and he's feeling like we're as close as anybody. He's like, if we're as close as anybody, it's got to be a matter of if not, or when, not if. It's got to be. We're as close as anybody else is, no matter who they are, what conference they're in. It doesn't matter. So, part of me does feel this way. Part of me does feel like this, even though I have no reason to. 
I can't help but think when I look back at Josh Allen's career that he doesn't at least have an appearance. Right? But I also can't help but think that this team is going to inevitably find a way to do it because I feel like they're going to continuously be on the precipice of doing it. This past year really made me feel this way. There was The Bills had no... They had no business having a lead against the Chiefs in the fourth quarter of the divisional round this year. Why? Because they had no business being in the playoffs. The Bills had no business hosting a playoff game. Okay, maybe they found a way to, to fall ass backwards into the playoffs. Okay, if things didn't line up the way they did and, uh, and, and things went a different direction and the Bills fall into the seventh seed. Okay, fine. The Bills had a 0.1% chance of landing a top two seed, okay? They had no business hosting the Chiefs in the divisional round. The fact that they got to where they got. I mean, I, I, this has really all come to come. This has all kind of come full circle to me the last couple of weeks. You know how it goes. In the moment, it, it's an utter failure. Obviously, in the moment, right after the game, the week after the game, two weeks after the game, we're now, you know, over a month after that game. And I did a piece on Joe Brady. If you want, go check it out on the channel. I did a, a paper plate award for Joe Brady, and I, I gave him the uh, next man up award. And I talked a lot about the year that was for Joe Brady. And in that video, I discuss a ton about what essentially happened this year and what happened after he took over. And when you go and listen to because all I do is I really just I paint the picture for you. I just read aloud to you everything that occurred. When you go back and look at it, it's insane what happened. It's insane. And I understand that it is a failure of a season if you do not win the entire thing. And there's 31 other teams that are going to look back at each season and say that was a failure. And it is certainly a failure for the Bills. And it has been a failure for the Bills. But there are differences in levels of failure. And I'm telling you right now, you might not admit it, but it's the truth. You would be 100% less satisfied with your failure coming one week into December than you would your failure coming in the late fourth quarter against the Chiefs in the divisional. I know it hurts way more, but at least you had the opportunity for it to hurt that, that way. The Bills should not have ever been in that situation this past year. So why am I bringing this up? Because even in this situation, where the Bills were essentially bad for numerous games this past year. Bad. For a season where this team had half their defense on the sideline, for a season where they had to fire their offensive coordinator in the middle of the year, where Josh Allen had his quote-unquote turnover problems, right? In a season where you lose to Zach Wilson and Mac Jones, you're one play away in the divisional from going to the AFC Championship? Think about it. I know it sucks. I know it's like dumping salt into a gaping wound. But if they were able to do that this year, it's really tough for me to think that they don't have the resilience to overcome just about everything. Think about what they have overcome. So when he says it's a matter of, of when, there's part of me that is along with a lot of you who are sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah, everybody's been saying that. I get it. Right. But you got to think about why you have that, why he has that mentality, why he feels that way. And I 100% understand why he has that mentality. It's not just because it's the politically correct answer, even though it is. 
It's because I think that there is substance to back it up. What they did this past year, look, it's so hard to say, oh, what they did was extraordinary, was impressive when, when, you, when you lose in the divisional round. I mean, I mean it just, you, 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 it's, it's tough to say that. Go back and reflect at what they did. It, it was insane. They won the AFC East. They were 6-6 six and six with a three-game deficit. I mean, come on. And you want to know what's insane? You want to know what's insane? Mathematically, the Bills had an infinitely worse chance of getting a top-two seed than they did winning the Super Bowl. I mean, I know the game isn't played on, on, on an Excel chart. I understand that. But what I'm getting at is if you're able to do that, if you're able to literally defy reality, because that's what winning the, the AFC East was, 0.1% chance on paper. I'm trying to think of an example that can even, that can even eloquently display what a 0.1% chance is. I, I can't even think of anything. I can't, I can't think of anything. That's how insane it was. And according to the, the analytics and the betting markets and all that, the Bills had like a, what? Going into the season, 15, 13, 15% chance winning the Super Bowl, maybe around there. Certainly a million times more than a point one. So they've, there's things that, it's just like they they've, they've are capable. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. It's like, how do you do that, but you can't do this? You're able to overcome the most absurd situation imaginable and, and, and come out in the top two. As frustrating as it is, it's almost, uh, it's almost as inspiring, I would say, when it comes to thinking about what the, the capabilities are. And I feel like that's where he's got to sit on this whole thing. Right? Sean McDermott. I feel like he's got to look at it the same way we're talking about it right now. Because if you're able to do all that in this year, I, I just don't know how it gets a whole lot worse from an injury perspective, from a variety of different standpoints, really. To be able to I mean, they had a better year collectively last year, 13-3 and three during the regular season. It never once felt like they weren't going to be a playoff team, much less a top team. And they went out swinging for the fences in the, in the playoffs, unlike last year. It just seems like if this, this, could, this could have looked like right here what the, the worst could be. Now, we, we don't know what's to come. And as the Bills lose people due to aging out and contracts and this and that. We don't know what's around the corner, but th this was about as bad as it's been with Josh Allen. And the outcome was a play or two away from moving to the AFC championship. And I just, I don't know how they don't, if the Ravens played like they did against the Jays, I don't know how that game's not down to the final minute and the Bills have a great chance to win. And I, I'll say the same about the Niners situation. Right? So it's encouraging to me Knowing that McDermott's going to be around. I know there's a lot of people out there that are, they're, they're done. After what this past season was, no matter what ended up occurring, they're just done with him. But you know for a fact that, that there's nowhere 
and there's he's not going anywhere, right? And with knowing that, I I, I just I, I I feel fine with it. The guy wants it as bad as anybody, and he's been as close as anybody. And I feel like he's still as inspired as he's been, and he's still as confident as he's been. And I think even though things didn't go the way that they were supposed to this year or the way that they would want to this year, you understand where he's getting the confidence from. Because in very, very low moments, this team was able to somehow come out as one of the league's best when it all wound up being said and done. You have to feel, as a coach, extraordinarily confident in your football team for their ability to be able to do that. So you can look at this one of two ways. When, not if. Of course, it's always going to be an if. Because nothing's for certain. But it has felt more recently when you're asking yourselves, it's not a matter of can the Bills get over the hump to me. It's when will they get over the hump. We know that they can do it. We know that they are good enough to do it. When is it going to happen? That's what I think this, I, I think this, that, that, that's the truth more than anything. I don't think anybody sits here and says, I, I, can the Bills beat the Chiefs? We know that they can. It's not like every time they play the Chiefs, it's like what the AFC championship was back in 2020, where they just got rolled. They were not close to as good as the Chiefs. It's not like every game's been like that, and you continue to say, well, can the Bills be as good as the Chiefs this year? They are. They have been. When is it going to pay off? And I feel like that's exactly where he's coming from. We know where we are. We know what we can do. We know what we're capable of. When, when is it going to happen? And I think the more you think about it, the more that that's really what the situation is. Let's go to a couple super chats. Rich coming in here, my man. He's saying, happy Monday, z -Bot. Man, you had me tearing up for you. <laughs> Congrats, brother. McDermott's saying, uh, it's not if, it's when. We win the Super Bowl has me running through walls. A lot of uh, a lot of different emotions going through Rich right now. Uh, he's got the tearing up going, and he's got the motivation to run through a wall going. So you know that Rich is fired up on a Monday. I love that. Appreciate you as always, Rich. Thanks for the love, and uh, thanks for the super chat as well. You also coming on saying thoughts on Areza, a Matt Areza, uh, another weapon for the Chiefs. Well, I don't know if we want to consider it a weapon, but interesting yeah so Matt Areza, of course as we know cut by the bills after he was drafted for uh, allegations of him being involved in a um uh a rape uh that that was a major story of course at, at that time for the buffalo bills and um the bills moved off of Matt Areza because of the situation and the uncertainty surrounding it and uh, as we know what came out of that was that was he was not guilty of the crime that he was um, alleged to have commit, and I I will I'll say this: he winds up for the with the Chiefs. That I mean that sucks. He, I don't I don't care if, I don't care if it's my grandma getting signed by the Chiefs. I don't want the Chiefs signing anybody. You know what I mean? Anytime you see that, especially somebody that was a former Bill, you hate to see it. Um, and I think Matt Areza, who we once coined the punt god, we all certainly know he's capable of being a phenomenal punter when given the opportunity. Bills drafted him to be that. I'll just say this. I'm, I'm happy for the guy. I'm, I'm elated for the guy. It sounds like he got, 
I, I can't think of a worse thing that could possibly happen to you than being in a situation where you're accused of a crime as heinous as the one he was accused of. And it winds up circulating and coming to light that it was not something that you did and you lose your career over it, right? Your image and your reputation gets tarnished over it. I mean, that sounds like a living nightmare that I couldn't even fathom in my, in my own, in my sleep, much less in my reality. So the fact that he is getting a crack in the NFL, I don't care if it's with the Chiefs or whoever. I'm happy for the kid. I am stoked for the kid. The Bills had an opportunity to bring him back in, but you understand people are, are, are out here saying, ah, Bills could have brought him back in. Why didn't they? Don't you think it's best for post both parties that they didn't? Probably the worst year of his life had to do with being drafted with the Bills and all that came after that. I don't think him going back to the Bills mentally would probably be the best thing for him. I, I feel like if I was in his situation, going back to the Bills would just bring back where I was when all of this stuff happened to me. He needed a fresh start. The Bills had to move on from him because the situation at hand was simply one that the Bills could not take on. When you are fighting a legal situation as heinous as that one, the Bills, this is the way it is. People get shocked by the fact that the Bills wanted to part ways from that. How are you shocked by that? The Bills don't want to be linked to something as brutal of an accusation as that. And I understand it's 100% unfair. It's 100% unfair to Areza. But it was 100% unfair that he got accused of what he was accused of. And it's unfortunately for him, it's not the Bills. It is not the Bills' obligation to have to be along for the ride with that. But that's why I'm so excited for him to be able to get another opportunity in this league. Because one, we know he was good enough to be a part of it and got drafted to be that. But when you get blackballed as bad as he did and to be able to overcome that and get back into the league and have your chance, you can't help but be happy for the kid. 100%. So, I mean, of course, inevitably it has to be the Chiefs, obviously, right? But at the end of the day, I, I am um, I'm happy for him. I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know how you couldn't be. Um, I always like to put myself in, in other people's shoes. So at the end of the day, and once again, I hate, hate talking about this stuff because no one knows what happened right in the, in these situations. I don't know if anybody ever will. And, and it's not for me to speculate on and people can do that all they want. I, I'll, I'm not going to be a part of it. All I know is what came out, it, it wound up not being what was thought of originally which was the reason why he ended up having to not be in the NFL right after he was drafted. Things have changed dramatically and he is getting another crack. So I think that that's great. A second chance for the kid to be able to do what he was drafted to do. And uh, the chiefs wound up, wound up, uh, wound up picking him up. So, um, speaking of, so by the way, put a, put a bow on the, the uh, McDermott situation, though, the interview with um, with Tim Graham, though, loved it. Make sure to go check it out. It's on The Athletic via Tim Graham. Uh, but it, it, just, it just reiterates a lot of what I've already thought. And I, I still feel confident about what he is capable of doing. He had essentially a half a year to reinstall confidence, at least into me. I was losing a lot of faith in McDermott right around that Broncos game. I just was, I was about to tap out, you know, to be able to do what he did for Joe Brady to come in and contribute the way he did for this team to be able to rally around him the way they did, especially after that article that came out about Sean McDermott 
for them to finish the season the way that they did, I think that that deserves more credit than it gets because it didn't wind up resulting in a Super Bowl. But at the end of the day, man, that was some impressive ass shit that they wound up pulling off. And it was a situation they pulled off that was next to impossible to, to do. So I, I 100% understand the mindset behind where McDermott's coming from when it comes to thinking about the chances of winning a Super Bowl for this team. And all we can hope is that he's right. That it's a matter of when, not if. One last quick note, by the way, the Brandon Bean already getting off to work a little bit here in the uh, – in the beginning of the offseason as we approach, I mean, free agency is here already, obviously, but it'll start heating up, I'm sure. And we'll start seeing moves. I, I mean, I, I don't know when the, the next big one will happen. It's kind of, it, it seems like it's a slow progression, but we'll start seeing stuff come out. But Brandon Bean already getting to work to try to take a bit off the top of a current cap situation that is a bit of a nightmare. Um, the Bills currently, I believe, have the worst cap situation in the league. They are, let's double check, going into today, they were $36.7 million underneath or uh, under the salary cap. What, what, what's the best way to say that? Is it over the salary cap? Yeah. Yeah, they're over. I, I, I don't know why I flipped that up in my mind. They are about $37 million over the cap. And obviously they're going to have to get to work in order to bring that number down. Now the salary cap, if you weren't aware, uh, weren't aware has been increased. And of course it's going to continue to increase as these TV rights get more and more lucrative. And as more money continues to flow into the NFL, because that's all that's been happening the last several seasons. The NFL is just a cash cow right now. They are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. The best example that you can pinpoint as far as, you know, seriously understanding how dominant the NFL is. I know we as fans have always just felt like they have been this. And I mean, it has been America's sport for a long time now, no question. But it has gotten continuously more and more dominant. The stranglehold that they have on the country as far as a viewership uh, is concerned compared to anything else is wild. And if you look, if you look into Christmas day, I mean, not all that long ago, the NFL wasn't playing games on Christmas. It was an NBA day. And those were the situation or those were the games and the events that would get the highest rating, of course, on Christmas. That was their big day. The NBA's big day every year was Christmas. The NFL saw an opportunity where they could wind up having their own big day of them of, for themselves on Christmas. And if you go and look at the numbers now that the NFL puts up from a ratings perspective on Christmas and compare them to what the NBA is doing on the same day, it's, it, it is laughable. It is laughable. They're, they're tripling, quadrupling up on the, on the ratings. And it just continues to get more and more and more popular. And you, and you, infused stuff like the Taylor situation, Taylor Swift situation this past year, it's coming from all angles. And with that comes a hell of a lot more money being plugged right into the league. And just this past week, the NFL raised the salary cap almost $31 million. It's currently at $255.4 million per team. So the nice thing is with the bills cap situation, you know, you get benefited by the fact that there is more money 
taken off the top from the increase in the overall salary cap. But the Bills still have a ways to go in order to get down to where they need to be. And they started today by moving a little bit of money around on uh, offensive lineman Connor McGovern's contract. And that restructuring wound up clearing up about $3.74 million. So if we take that off of what they were currently over at, they were over at about $36.7 million. You take three point seven off of that, and they're looking at around a $32 million uh, situation over the salary cap. So it will be interesting to see what they end up doing to try and figure that out. Dawson Knox's situation is one that many people are looking for to be restructured. That would certainly help. The Tredavious White situation to me is very interesting, and that's one I will be personally keeping an eye on all throughout the offseason. I'm just dying to see what the future is for Tredavious White. You're coming off of two major injuries now, and I just wonder what the deal is going to be there from his contract perspective, and they can free money up there if they end up moving on. Von Miller's situation obviously is going to be an interesting one. Uh, it's just it's, that situation so hard for me to think about because the the money spent in the return on investment. I mean, I, I you you might as well have just taken that money and throw, thrown it down a over Niagara Falls. I mean, there was really no difference. Um, so there's stuff that of course they can do, but the the, the problem is you're facing two challenges. You got to get underneath that salary cap, and you also have to make additions to this team in order to get better than what you were the season before. So obviously we know Brandon Bean's a wizard. He figures it out every time, but there are going to be some significant moves that have to be made either from personnel situations currently involved with the bills right now. Um, or, you know, with current situations that are, that are involved with the bills right now. But what I'm getting at is there's going to be situations that are going to be difficult. I think to, um, to implement as far as uh, like, you know, if Tredavious White gets moved on from that, I mean, that's going to be, it's going to be a bummer because one, you hate moving on from guys you draft in the first round to be your cornerstones. And Tredavious White had all of the makings early on in his career to be that cornerstone, right? All pro comes in one of the best players for this Bills team. And you just hate to see a guy suffer two horrible injuries the way that he did and have to essentially be moved on from, from the financial perspective that almost becomes burdening when, when paired with the injury history, because you can't imagine the bills even consider something like this, if not for that. Um, and we all know how devastating the first one was for Tredavious way. And it seemed like he was real hesitant to come back because of the toll that the first uh, terror took on him and to essentially do that a, couple, a month and a half, two months after he came back, it was awful to see. Um, but he, Tredavious White in particular, and we'll talk more about this throughout the offseason. Of course, we have a ton of time to talk about different situations, different players, but in his situation in particular, you know, he's got about $16 million due to him coming up this 2024 season. And, um, they could essentially save $6 million off the cap, or they could take $6 million off the cap 
if they end up making a move on him. Um, just reading a little bit more here. I mean, I, I was looking at this. I didn't realize, obviously, the, the salary cap typically goes up every year, but I didn't realize it went up $12 million more than anticipated. That just goes to show you, once again, what the NFL has got going on as of late. Um, Okay, so I was re- I was double checking on this Tre'Davious White situation because they were talking about. I'm reading an article from Sports Illustrated here, and it kind of illustrates that with the new caps, the cap situation that's currently at hand, based on the increase, it kind of changes the thought process behind. It changes the thought process behind how you're going to approach certain certain situations, and they're kind of emphasizing uh, the fact that Tre'Davious White situation might not be worth pursuing now because of the increase in the cap situation. So that's the interesting part. It's saying here that paying Tredavious White $10 million to not be on the roster as a means of clearing $6 million in cap space is not an efficient allocation of funds, which makes sense because they would have to pay him $10 million to not be on the roster if they got rid of him, and it would only take $6 million off of the cap. So when you were essentially granted $12 million in a surplus over what you thought the increase was going to be, and that increase in itself, when totaled up, is over $30 million, that makes sense. So there's, a di- there's different ways to look at this, all these situations now with the increase in the salary cap. Um, but Brandon Bean's got his work cut out for him, and as we know, he'll find a way to figure that out no matter what it takes, he always does. But he did get a head start today working around Connor McGovern's deal, saving about three and a half, $3.7 million. And it'll be interesting. He says again, like he did last year, you know, don't expect any major splashes. I don't expect any major splashes. When you have one of the worst cap, cap situations in the league, it's pretty fair to not expect any major splashes. But the Bills certainly can't sit on their hands. We know that. That's why, to me, the draft is the most pivotal aspect of this entire offseason. I don't think the Bills are going to be able to go out and completely revamp the team in free agency. It's just not feasible the way that this team's currently set up. But the draft is where you're hoping you're going to be able to land a couple of gems and wind up having that pay dividends uh, in the immediate future. And then when you consider... Another year of development for James Cook, another year of development for Shakir and Kincaid, that's also going to help as well. But teams not getting any younger, and they have got to start planning for the future. When you think about that current situation on offense and what's going to be around and, and, and what this might look like if they don't get things in gear soon, I mean, as we move forward here, it's got to start now. It's got to start before the dam breaks, right? So I'm just dying to know what the mindset's going to be in the first round 
because the the wide receiver situation, and this is something we'll talk a lot about up until the draft. The wide receiver situation is very, it's a very odd one when you when you're talking about where the prior where it lands on the priority list for a lot of these teams because we're seeing so many. I mean, Puka Nakua the, for the for example, right? Find him essentially at the end of the draft. Oh, we'll take Puka Nakua. Winds up having the greatest rookie wide receiver season of all time. These wide receivers have become more like running backs in the sense that it just seems like they continuously keep coming out and out, and teams are willing to just take one and get the most out of them and then move on and move on. I mean, that's what the Chiefs just did with Tyreek Hill. Moved off of Tyreek Hill, borrowed Juju Smith-Schuster, right? Win a championship, draft Rasheed Rice, have him have a season where he comes on right throughout the year, and then boom, he ends up being a pivotal piece towards the end. A lot of teams are no longer in situations where they're willing to be spending quarterback-type money on receivers. Now, some guys, of course, are worth it. Justin Jefferson, right around the corner, is going to be due a contract. Jamar Chase. There are certain guys. But there's so many wide receivers now coming out of the draft and are impacting teams immediately. And they're not just ha- it's not just in the first round. It makes you wonder what the Bills' priority is going to be all the way down where they're at, because the top guys, of course, are going to be well, well gone. They're, the top end of this receiver draft is nuts. A couple of guys up there that are going to be immediate studs. But once that's all gone and you get down to where the bills are at, it makes you wonder if that's going to remain the priority or if that's something they're going to be looking at later on. At the same time, you look at it and say, how could it not be the top priority? It's interesting. Rich says, Bean cannot overthink wide receiver first round no matter what. See, this is what this is what it's tough. It's like to me, the way I see it, I, I, I don't know how you could be going into what is it now? What are we at now? You're you're seven with Josh Allen and not draft a receiver in the first round. It's pretty nuts. And it's not just that. It's not like it's not just in the first round. It hasn't been in the first several rounds. I'm leaving that at least the top two rounds. It might not be in the in the first round just because they don't feel like the value is there where they're at. I don't know how you can't do it. I don't know how you don't do it in the first two rounds. It's almost inexcusable to me. It is inexcusable to me to not address the wide receiver position in the first two rounds. But if you're looking at some of these mock drafts, I mean, the Bills, some of these people, some of these guys have the Bills going corner. Some of these Bills, some of these guys have the Bills going D-line. And if we know Brandon Bean, boy, oh boy, does he love his D-line. So that wouldn't shock me at all. But it just feels like some of the love that's been overwhelmingly given to the Bills defense has got to be given to the Bills offense at some point. Saw a little bit last year with Dalton Kincaid. And I loved the move. I loved the draft pick. But you have countless examples of this team doing everything it can in the draft to make sure that defense is up to par. But you have way less to to prove it with the offense. And it just feels like when you have a unicorn at QB, you want to throw more of your lottery tickets at assets to make that unicorn look more like a unicorn. And I just feel like the time is now. The time is now. You've waited long enough. You've done all the, you've, look how far you've gotten 
without having to do that. You can only continue to do that so long, not throw assets at the wide receiver position. And I feel like you're starting to see the chickens come home to roost a little bit. With Stephon Diggs not being everybody's favorite all of a sudden, right? And Gabe Davis is two steps uh, away from walking out the door. Now you're starting to understand that the lack of addressment on the offensive side of the ball through the draft is starting to show up a little bit. Luckily, their most recent picks are starting to look like they are showing up a bit. That's what makes you want to go offense even more. Two years into the James Cook experience in the second year was great. And Dalton Kincaid showed you in year one that he's got the potential to be an absolute monster for this team. Right? But when you're looking around, you're starting to understand that the veteran players on this offense are, are not really anywhere to be found. And that's because they haven't been applied. So... To me, the time is now. You only get you only get so long with this with this guy at QB. And you want to make sure he's set up. First two rounds to me, all but inevitable. It has to happen. We got plenty of time to talk about that throughout the offseason, and we will. Don't you worry. But in the meantime, I can't thank you enough for tuning in tonight on a Monday night. To the smoke break. Lots of fun. We talked about Deion Dawkins and his comments on the New York Jets. We talked about Sean McDermott and what he had to say about the Bills' Super Bowl chances. And we also were able to lock in my best man at the top of the show. Thanks so much for being a part of that. That was awesome. Uh, that was everything I wanted it to be. And I'm glad we got to do it together. That was a lot of fun. So, where else but the smoke break? Can you see that? I don't know. Iconic show tonight at the top. Definitely will live uh, on forever in my book. So I am so happy that you got to be a part of that with me. And I look forward to having you join me again later on in the week here. Um, in the meantime, please, on your way out, make sure to hit that like button, subscribe button, bell notification, and also make sure to check out my friends at BetUS. 125% sign-up bonus on your first three deposits in the link in the description below, up to $2,500. bucks. i will be on here again at some point later on in the week, so make sure to be on the lookout for that. Rico tomorrow night as well, so don't miss him. But in the meantime, once again, much love, everybody, for joining in tonight. It was a lot of fun. I'll, I'll uh, look forward to seeing you on the next one. Until then, much love, everybody. And as always.